Hello, and welcome to episode two of the podcast series, Spirits, Gods, and Ghosts of East Asia. Our group podcast name is Buddha Got Back, and today we will be looking at the diffusion of Buddhism throughout East Asia during the post-antiquity era, specifically in China and Japan, and how the pre-existing cultures in these countries changed to include Buddhism. We will be examining a tale from China's Tang Dynasty and a tale from Japan's pre-Sengoku period. And now the rest of my group members will introduce themselves. My name is Adam Riekert, and I'm a junior. My name is Trace Oliver, and I'm a junior. I'm Thomas Dara, and I'm a sophomore. I'm Emily Winkler, and I'm a junior. My name is Kaylin Berg, and I am a senior. To start off, Emily and I are going to summarize two tales that relate to what we are going to discuss. Later in the podcast, we will get into more of the historical and political context surrounding the tales. But for now, just enjoy the stories. A man named Long Yu Chu lived in the town of Peng, and his ancestors were scholars who had filled the house with books. Long was even crazier about books than his ancestors. Eventually, the family grew poor, and Long had to sell everything in the house except for the books for which he could not part with. Long's father wrote a verse that Long read every day that in books, golden grain could be found. This verse increased Long's obsession, causing Long to forego normal social activities. He was even convinced that a girl would appear from his books for him to marry. Over time, the verse appeared to come true. One day, while reading, a gust of wind blew his book away, and when he chased after it, his foot sunk into a hole. He looked into the hole and discovered some old grain, which strengthened his belief in the saying that books were a thousand bushels. Later, he climbed up to the tall bookshelf and found a small golden chariot. Long then offered the chariot to a, a devout Buddhist to adorn a Buddhist shrine. The man in return gave Long 300 tails in gold and two horses. Long rejoiced for the words in the verse about a golden house, a chariot, and horses had come true, and Long studied even harder. After his 30th year had passed, Long said that in his books there was a jade-like face, for this was the girl he was going to marry. He studied for a few more years, and nothing happened. A rumor went around that the weaving girl had fled from heaven and Long was teased that it was for his sake that the granddaughter of the emperor of heaven had escaped. Then one evening, while Long was reading the book of Han, he found a picture of a lovely girl hidden between the pages. This startled him and he wondered if this was the fulfillment of the words that in books would be found a jade-like face. As he looked at the picture, the girl sparkled with life and on the back of the picture was written, The Weaving Girl. One day, the girl appeared to him and her name was Yin Ru Yu, which means jade-like face. Long was overjoyed that she had finally come and together they retired, but he did not know how to act like a man. Yin Ru Yu got tired of Long studying so much and threatened to leave him if he did not become successful. If Long started studying again and did not do as she said, Yin Ru Yu would leave him and return to the book. She would appear again when Long prayed. It took a lot of time, but eventually she gave him a lute and told him to learn it within three days. Long learned and forgot about studying. She then sent Long out to meet people and make friends and get an official career. The two then had a child, but Yin Ru Yu had to leave. She said she would stay if Long got rid of all of his books, but he could not. Then, a rumor spread about Yin Ru Yu because people did not know who Long's beautiful wife was. The district magistrate heard this and arrested Long so he could see Yin Ru Yu, but she had disappeared. Long was beaten near death and stripped of his examination ring. The magistrate could not find Yin Ru Yu and ordered to burn all of Long's books. 
However, when Long returned from prison, his examination rank was restored and he passed his autumn examination and gained his third degree. Long hated the magistrate and he had erected a tablet to Yin Ru Yu and prayed to it every day. He wanted to become an official in Fukian. He investigated the corruption of the magistrate in Fukian and caused his estate to be confiscated. When a case against the magistrate was concluded, Long sent in his resignation and returned home. And next, you will hear from Thomas with the Japanese tale, The Invisible Man, which comes from the Heian period. There once lived a man who was devoted to a temple dedicated to canon. On one of his visits, he noticed a group of men with torches and got out of the road because he assumed it was a nobleman. The group was actually comprised of demons who saw this man and spat on him, which made him invisible. The man prayed at his temple for several days, hoping to be made visible again. One night, he dreamed of a monk who tells him to leave early in the morning and do exactly as the first person he sees says. The man does this and runs into an oxherd. The oxherd takes him to a large estate where a young woman is sick. The oxherd was persuaded to possess and torture the lady by a deity so that a powerful healer could be called and intone the heart sutra. When the healer begins the sutra, the oxherd runs away and the man is filled with awe. The healer then chants the fire Dharani, and the man's clothes light on fire, and he is visible again. The young lady is healed, and the man is able to go back to his family. Neither the man nor the lady ever becomes sick again. Since there's multiple connections to Buddhist ideas in the two tales, Kaelin is going to walk us through a description of what Buddhism is. Buddhism has its origins in India when the first Buddha achieved enlightenment. The Buddha meditated for many years to find a way to end suffering, and one day he saw the answer and shared it with many other people. The Buddha's core teachings are known as the Four Noble Truths and are central to Buddhism today. He taught that life is suffering and suffering is caused by desire. Desire must be stopped to end suffering and to stop desire you must follow the Eightfold Path. When desire has been stopped, the person has then achieved enlightenment and can escape the cycle of rebirth, reach nirvana, and become a Buddha. The teachings of the first Buddha were collected in holy texts called the sutras, and these texts hold much power for Buddhists. Buddhists and another figure are the bodhisattvas. In Mahayana Buddhism, the sect that's most popular in East Asia, bodhisattvas are particularly important as they are the people who have achieved enlightenment but they chose to stay on earth until all living things have also achieved enlightenment. These figures become especially known for compassion, and a notable bodhisattva is Canon. Canon is really important to a lot of East Asian literature and has come to be known as the bodhisattva of mercy and can take on many different forms. So that was just a short overview of Buddhism in general. Adam, do you want to talk about how Buddhism came to China and how it really became popular? So Buddhism first entered China through the Silk Road from India, and although the period I'm going to be talking about later is from 618 to 907 AD, Buddhism was in China as early as the 3rd century, and was mainly wrought over by Buddhist teachers, although they were few in numbers. As the early monks were not so devout as you would like think of today, but after some time, temples were built throughout China. It was kind of like Confucianism fell out of favor due to the fall of the Han Dynasty. Buddhism filled a niche. So why did it appeal to the Chinese people? Mahayana Buddhism, broadly speaking, it's different than Hinayana in that it is more liberal and progressive. And it is also more metaphysical, speculative, dazzling, and all that stuff. So that's kind of how it started to appeal to these other countries, China, 
was one of them. So basically China had its own canonized classics that were talking about sublime truths. So that's how it kind of like piqued the people's interest. So Buddhism dealt mainly with like the afterlife and the effects of good and bad deeds, addressing life's misfortunes, and it also promised relief from suffering. So that's kind of how it was able to become established, and that's kind of the role it filled in China. So the Tang Dynasty ended up backing it officially, usually supporting it through like monetary like um, ways. And then individuals entering um, monastic life as like monks or nuns still aroused suspicion from other members of society, particularly strict adherence to Confucianism, sacrificing one family name, the possibility of offspring, cutting off one's hair, which is like a defilement of the body, and embracing poverty ran counter to many time-honored Chinese beliefs. So it was kind of very slow in establishing a presence because it was kind of going against some of the other things that were already established, like Taoism and Confucianism. Um, and then there was some falling out with the northern China between the southern Chinese, so neo-Taoist terms kind of dominated the interpretation of Buddhism. But then later, it very much became a living religion. Like, once you have the, the monasteries and the temples established, it's very easy to have, like, lectures, festivals, holidays, and other rituals, which makes it assimilate better into everyday people's lives. And, but it's also important to note, again, that Buddhism did take over hundreds of years. This was not just a quick transformation. It's easy for one to go and say that Buddhism was extremely significant and dominated the other ideologies during the Tang Dynasty, but Taoism and Confucianism were still present, and it could be said the three were coexisting, as you know, the three teachings, Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism. If you look more closely, Buddhism at the time of the Tang Dynasty and at its assimilation into China was being fused with the other beliefs present, like Taoism. Buddhism was present in varying degrees across China, so after the translation process took, it split into many different sects with different splashes of Taoism. Over this time, Buddhism was usually matched with secular, not religious criticism, unlike that you would see in like the U.S. Buddhism in the late Tang Dynasty received more backlash, already some criticism present in the earlier stages, but definitely later on for mostly economic concerns. It is also important to recognize a change in rulership. Although Tang emperors were still in power, there were supporters more of Taoism later on, so much so that they turned against Buddhism and destroyed thousands of temples and monasteries. Buddhist influence was over by the 10th century, or at least very weak. The long popularity of Buddhism was the longest any foreign religion had received in China. Today, Buddhism is more a philosophical component than religious. Alright, thanks Adam. For my part, I'll be discussing the history of Buddhism in Japan and how it interacted with pre-existing political and religious institutions. Chinese monks had made pilgrimages before to Japan, but officially Buddhism comes to Japan from the Korean court during 552 CE, according to the Japanese novel Nihon Choki. It didn't take off initially due to the perceived threat against Shintoism, but as the aristocracy of Japan specifically the Soga clan, saw the benefits of it, they were able to convince the Japanese emperor to publicly support it. With public support, it spread quickly throughout the Asuka and Nara period, eventually being on the same level as Japan's native Shinto religion. Despite initial fears, Shintoism and Buddhism began to coexist, in no part due to the Soga clan's continued influence. This led to the creation of such things as the Jinju-ji, or shrine temples, in which there was a Buddhist temple as well as a shrine to a local kami. What eventually happened was that a theory was created with regards to Buddhism and Shintoism, which was called Honchi Shuijaku. This was a belief that Buddhas and Bodhisattvas took the form of the local Japanese kami in order to better save the Japanese people. This helped alleviate the fear towards Buddhism and led to its continued growth in Japan. As time continued, different schools of Buddhism continued to come in from China, 
or they organically evolve in Japan from existing schools. Many schools of modern Japan originate in this time period, such as Pure Land Buddhism, Nichiren Buddhism, and Zen Buddhism. So what Buddhist themes in the story stood out to you guys? In the crazy bookworm, there's a Buddhist monk who asks or like suggests that the man give him the golden chariot for a Buddhist shrine. Yeah, and doesn't he give Lang more money for the chariot than it's worth? He does. Seems to me like it's a bridging of Confucianism and Buddhism because Confucianism was big in the Han Dynasty and he's reading the book of Han a lot during the story. The story also mentions how the woman with a jade-like face says, You believe so much in the teachings of the ancients, so it is like going back in time and declaring that he is loyal to these teachings. Especially since Long is a scholar, which emphasizes that Long would be loyal to Confucian beliefs because being a scholar was so important. Being a scholar is also important because, as the verse from his father says, golden grain will come from the books, which encourages his fervent study. Further, by studying, Long finds the chariot, which he gives to the Buddhist who gives Lang riches. So is this kind of how the Chinese adopted Buddhism, right? It became a part of existing culture? Yeah, it kind of wedged itself in the culture and definitely became a part of the culture, despite the existing beliefs. However, a lot of analysis depends on when exactly the crazy bookworm originates from. So before Buddhism was really popular, Taoism and Confucianism were coexisting. So both of these ideologies were at the beginning and at the end of Buddhism. I would argue it comes from the early Tang Dynasty. This is because at the end of the Tang Dynasty, there was a lot of criticism about how rich the Buddhist monasteries and temples were becoming. So Long even giving this small chariot to the Buddhist temple, and how the monk had so much money to give in return, would have been seen negatively. We can also say that it comes from the early Tang Dynasty because there seems to be equal parts Buddhism and Confucianism. It's interesting because the same thing seems to be happening in Japan. The Invisible Man seems to have a mix of Shinto culture and Buddhism. Yeah, there are definitely some like undertones of Shinto culture with demons like in the beginning of the story. And kind of how the ox herd is a follower of some deity. It's never really said like what deity he follows, but it's kind of assumed to be Shintoism or a Shinto deity. But yeah, there are definitely very strong Buddhist presence with the man worshipping at a temple dedicated to a bodhisattva and the sutra is healing the man and the woman now like the tales we choose both chinese and japanese really highlight the melding of buddhism into the existing cultures in the invisible man since the ox herd is a follower of this assumed like shinto slash local cult deity and was persuaded by this deity to possess and torture the woman do you think this tale has any commentary about buddhism being better than shintoism during the time period when buddhism really like became prevalent in Japan, there was a pushback from the peasantry because they had well-established kami that they worshipped. However, despite the initial pushback, Buddhism still like started to meld with the local religions. I think it was called Jinju-ji, where there was a clear blending of Buddhist worship with kami worship. Depending on when exactly the Invisible Man originates from, there could definitely be some negative commentary about the Shinto deity and promotion of Buddhist beliefs. But, again, it's pretty hard to tell without specific dates. To me, it seems like the two religions have a positive relationship based on the outcome of the story. But you also have to keep in mind that deities were not always seen as good. Like in this instance, this god may have had a bad intention, but the Buddhist faith made everything right in the end. Especially since Canon is a bodhisattva known for mercy, I think you could argue for both in this case. Yeah, I did some research about that, how there was a belief that if you were Buddhist and followed your beliefs, most situations would work out. 
in the end, especially if you encounter like bad things because you prepared and studied Buddhism and had been loyal to the Buddhist teachings. By doing that, it shows that you are worthy of help from a godlike figure canon. After all, one reason that Buddhism was so appealing to the common people was the idea of salvation. Do the tales have any political commentary? In the crazy bookworm, there is a presence of the magistrate who goes against Long, and then Long kind of gets revenge almost because the magistrate ends up burning all of Long's books. And at the end of the story, the magistrate gets his estate taken away from him because Long proved the magistrate was corrupt. I read that differently. I read it as the magistrate is the bad guy of the story. Like, he represents bad values such as corruption and uh, lust because he's lusting after Long's wife. So in the middle of the story, Long gets imprisoned because of the magistrate's desire and is stripped of his examination rank. But somehow Long gets out of prison and has his rank restored and then goes to get his third examination rank, which makes him eligible to be an important political figure. Since the story seems to be about Long learning to be a man, there's this kind of like triumphant moment where Long overcomes this bad man and becomes an official who has these good morals. I definitely think that uh, Long ends up overcoming the magistrate Uh, With the help of the jade-like face lady, her character seems to be aimed at getting Long to stop studying so much and to become a part of society which reflects Confucian values. In Confucianism, being a scholar is very important, but how one acts and is part of society is also extremely important. What about for the Invisible Man? So I think the Invisible Man pretty clearly shows the political ideology at the time in Japan. Initially, the man is praying at the temple, and a lot of people, especially the peasantry, in Japan were very religious, so like this was a pretty common thing that happened. It shows that the people in Japan believed that the local gods, local kami, held a lot of power and very important. And when the man is on his way home from the temple, he initially gets off the road and hides because he thinks he has come across a group of noblemen. Noblemen during this time period were just really blatantly abusive towards the peasantry. It wasn't really uncommon for a nobleman to randomly kill someone just to test their sword skills. Like, it was pretty widespread that they had, like, different names for their katanas, depending on how many people they could cut in a single swing. So, like, really blatant abuse of power was incredibly common at this time. So, him getting off the road is actually pretty significant because politically, peasants were pretty disposable. And as for the sick lady towards the end of the story, the only reason that the Buddhist priest came to the house was because the family was one of the main families at the time. And, like, in Japan, there was a difference between main families and branch families. The main family was usually a lot more important. The tale most likely assumes that the reader or listener knows this, and the families are, you know, politically very important. So, do you think that the story is making a comparison between noblemen and demons because the man believed the group of demons to be a nobleman? I would say yes, because as I said, at the time, the noblemen were pretty terrible, and demons were also thought of as pretty terrible. Also, people at this time thought that the spirit world and the human world, like, overlapped pretty often. So, like, in Japanese mythology, it's pretty hard to discern if you would rather be beaten by a nobleman or be abused by a demon. There's really no clear difference between the two. There are also tales beside the Invisible Man where a peasant is afraid of a nobleman, but that fear ends up being well-founded because it turns out to be a demon. So you're saying that the demons are kind of a representation of noblemen? Uh, in this instance, yes. Demons were often represented as brutish or crass, 
and barbaric, whereas noblemen were usually like kind of the opposite. They were a lot more refined, but in a way, they're also a lot more sociopathic, and they didn't really have any rhyme or reason behind their actions. So, since the peasants seemed to have a pretty rough life, could that be a reason why a bodhisattva of compassion and mercy like Canon became so popular? Yeah, life in Japan was has never really been kind to the peasantry. Um, life was hard during periods of unrest when the feudal lords were fighting one another. It's so like during the Sengoku period. It was even harder when Japan was united because the samurai didn't have anything to do except drink and gamble and take out their frustration and anger on the peasants. So really, like, having this compassionate godlike figure definitely was incredibly appealing to the peasants. It took quite a while for Buddhism in China and Japan to catch on, and even after that, Buddhism had to compete with the existing ideologies in both countries. Confucianism and Taoism were the dominant ideologies in China, while Shintoism was the dominant religion in Japan. There was resistance to Buddhism at first from secular views in China and the peasantry in Japan to the foreign religion. Although Buddhism was spreading fast as it hopped from one country in East Asia to another, it lasted roughly 500 years in both countries as a dominant religious force. 